Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, May 10th. Derek Gunriper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We've got a bunch of news items to cover. We have a surprising demotion from the Twins. We had an impressive debut from one Casey Schmidt, who I very poorly comped to David Fletcher on yesterday's show, so I will write that wrong before the end of this hour. We have an update on Jacob deGrom. We have a Jose Alvarado injury, which is very unfortunate because he's in the midst of what appears to be uh, sort of a late breakout season. He's always had great stuff, but this is the best version of Alvarado that we've ever seen. And we get some pitching stuff on the rundown as well, vaguely labeled as pitching stuff as I uh, prepare to get to it. But let's start with Jose Miranda getting optioned down to AAA by the Twins, because this is starting to remind me of what the Rays do with these guys who are big league ready players that we think are going to be pretty steady and safe. And they end up sending him down. And it hasn't just been Jose Miranda. We've seen them do this with Alex Kirilov around his various injuries. We've seen it with Trevor Larnack. And I like all three of those players. Or at least I like certain things about all three of those players. And I'm wondering with Miranda, aside from a pretty sluggish start through 35 games to play at a 67 WRC plus is rough. He's not a good defender. And that maybe is something that I should have taken more into consideration in his profile as far as it being something that could cause him to lose his job completely and get more time at AAA this season because previously I didn't really have this in a in a bucket of high probability outcomes but maybe it was more likely to happen than I realized yeah I mean there's a certain amount of what I would read as poor luck happening right I mean he improved his strikeout rate improved his walk rate uh has about the same raw power and his barrel rate is only down a little bit. I mean, if I read you those parts of his line, you'd expect him to be hitting 260, 270. Uh, the three homers, you know, maybe it would be four or five. Like, it, it, he wasn't going to be a guy who hit 30 homers this year. Um, and so he's not really that far off, uh, except that I guess the doubles have disappeared. Something's disappeared. And uh, yes, he didn't have that baseline of good defense. So kind of hard to uh you know fit him in if this is how quickly they uh, pulled the trigger on changing him out right it's like you know, once you decide that he's offense is not good enough for that poor defense uh where is the corresponding move when he comes back uh i mean other than injury he looks like you're starting kirilov at first uh polanco at second uh, Korea at short, and who's getting the, the starts at third now that Miranda's gone? Some combination of probably Willie Castro and Kyle Farmer, I think was the corresponding move coming off the IL, and I don't know, maybe occasionally Donovan Solano. I see him on the depth chart over at Rotowire as an option at third base, but if those are your options to replace him, doesn't seem like you're getting a lot better. But the problem is, if you just uh, if you just care about the defense, uh, then is that going to get better in the short time in the minors? Yeah, that's more of a long term sort of overhaul. And I wonder if if Jose Miranda ends up being a player that the Twins are going to trade over the course of the summer, just because they're going to need some other upgrades on this roster if they want to win the AL Central and do damage in the postseason. And I think as a big league ready bat he'd be appealing to a lot of other teams, but is it unlike the profile of Miguel Andujar a few years ago when Andujar had oh, that no. first breakthrough season with the Yankees and then because of his defense and an injury, he had a major injury that also derailed him. It was a shoulder injury, if I remember correctly. It's been just an up-and-down battle for him to get playing time 
in the year since, even going to other organizations. I hope we're not going all the way down there, but this isn't totally unlike that, even though there are, there are things in Andujar's profile that I've always liked. So I'm trying not to repeat my own mistakes and, and wondering if there's a cautionary tale there. Yeah, can we can we get them a third baseman? Uh, you know, does Eduardo Julian's defense play at third? I don't think so. He's been at second for so long in the minors. Can we get them one from another team? Uh, Josh Donaldson's probably available. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Donaldson again. <laughs> uh, the White Sox are about to tear things down. Juan Moncada is. Uh, He's got two. He's got a year left, and then a 2025 club option that might cost a little bit. But you know, Miranda might be an appropriate uh, trade for that. You actually get three years, uh, possibly, or two and a half years, possibly, from a third baseman that will give you a good baseline of defense and uh, really alternates league average or worse years with good years at the plate so <laughs> a bit of a, a a dice roll there but uh i think juan Mancata could be had um i'm not seeing a lot of other third basemen unless the cubs want to do something other than patrick wisdom but they're winning the marlins with john zagura might want to re-rack that one that would might that wouldn't cost them much but i don't know how much of an improvement that would be over their current situation yeah, I don't think that necessarily helps them. What about Jamer Candelario? Mm, who you has not bounced back that we wanted the way we wanted. Defensively, I think he's fine at third. Uh, right now, he's 36% worse than league average. Uh, there's some poor luck there. The BAMP is down. But the barrel rate is the second worst of his career. It wouldn't cost him much. I think he signed a one-year deal. Uh, if they sign, they could send over like a relief prospect or something. Probably the weird thing with Candelario, when you look at his defense, at least by outs above average year over year, like this year he's in the 94th percentile. Last year he was in the eighth percentile. He's been in the 38th percentile back in 2021. He was in the 82nd percentile back in 2019. Defense statistics are hard. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's solving your problem either uh, if you're the twins, but it is surprising to see that you know, Willie Castro and Kyle Farmer appear to be at least the short term options. And maybe the twins are willing to sacrifice the defense once the bat gets going again, right? If Miranda spends a couple of weeks at St. Paul, starts hitting again and comes back and hits like he did last year, then maybe we're having a completely different conversation two or three weeks from now. So a uh, simple question here, is he a hold? Is he good enough? Did he show enough last year where you're waiting this out for however long it takes for him to get the opportunity again? Or is he an unfortunate cut as someone you probably drafted around that pick 150 range back in March? I have no shares. I might answer the question for you, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I think in 15, uh, no, I think, uh, I think I'd move on. I think you have to. The, the upside is just not great enough. I mean, look at the rest of the season projections, 260, 12 to 14 homers. I think you can find that on the wire. The only, the only caveat I had is we just tried to find him a third baseman in the league, and so third basemen are a little bit more scarce. I, in my main, uh, have Ryan McMahon and Brandon Drury and thought, I'd handle the position, but find myself, at least in some half weeks, not wanting to start either. So I, uh, if you were, if you are stuck in that situation, I still think you got to leave him alone and and try to, you know, sniff the the air and maybe catch him, you know, again on on waivers before he comes back, you know. 
Yeah, you always get a shot at getting a player back if you cut them loose and they get called up. I mean, a few he's weeks later. like if he does have, there's not going to be a Fab Palooza if Juan Miranda's back. You know, you could probably get him again. Wouldn't for think so. Twelve to fifteen bucks, which is I'm talking like one to two percent, maybe. Yeah, hopefully a nice small bid. I think the, the the numbers that you see in the projection for Miranda are probably more reflective of the upside of Casey Schmidt than I uh, implied yesterday. I think I, I comped him to David Fletcher more because of the concern that he'd be kind of empty power-wise from what he did in the upper levels of the minor leagues. He hits the ball harder than Fletcher because everybody does. <laughs> yeah, right, and he's had he's had some uh, some some years. I mean, in 2022, he had 21 homers, um, you know, spread out across three levels. So. Um, I don't know what uh, you know what's going on there. It looks like this year maybe he tried to sacrifice the power for contact. Um, I don't know exactly what's going on. The the ground ball rate is through the roof. It is interesting to see a guy with a poor. I mean, it's a maxi V. It's you know I, I hesitate to mention it because it's a four plate appearances, but he hit the home run a one zero three eight. I just talked to Alex Call um, about this idea that you know you can still hit homers if you don't um, have the greatest max EV. And, you know, he said, I think he said 109 uh, is the hardest he's ever hit a ball. Uh, but 109 is capable of going out of the park, right? I do think that having that, that plus plus capability is interesting in terms of upside, but you can also have players that hit for decent power with 109 max EVs. Um, so I don't, I don't know that we know that much more about Casey Schmidt today. Um, you know, even the one Oh three, eight, like, what do you think David Fletcher's max EV is for his career? Oh, I looked his, his debut season, his max EV was one Oh three seven, which is really funny. How similar <laughs> that so is. don't, so don't, so don't take it all back just cause Casey Schmidt had a homer. Although it was a nice one to a deep part of the deep part of the park. So the reason I was taking it back is I looked at David Fletcher. David Fletcher never had power in the minors at all. So even if Casey Schmidt did it a little old for the level at high A last year, it still means more. There's still more raw power there. I think the problem for me, looking more closely at the profile, there have been instances of swing and miss. It's reflected in some of the scouting reports on the hit tools. So it just breaks down for a bunch of different reasons. But the versatility that he can play all over and play a lot, that's sort of your floor. If the power comes later, the power comes later. I've seen some pretty high ceiling comps on him. I don't know if it's because he's a giant and it's the Bay Area, but I've seen a Matt Chapman comp thrown out there. I don't know if, if, if that's because of the defense first and then the possibility of raw power later or what that is, but that almost seems like really pie in the sky to me. So I, I think you were still talking about a deeper league sort of player. Probably in 15s now, you're going to think about him as someone to pick up if only because... Someone like Miranda just got sent down. Someone gets sent down, you got a big hole to fill, you want someone who's going to play a lot, you take a chance on someone like Casey Schmidt, maybe it works out. Yeah, I, and I I hadn't noticed this. Um, I, I sent the anecdote in about, you know, Casey Schmidt replacing Marco Luciano in, at short and being okay. I hadn't realized that uh, he's been playing there all year um, this year. He's got 20 starts in AAA at short versus uh, just nine at or eight at uh, at third. So uh, it sounds like, uh, it looks like, you know, Casey Schmidt is the shortstop of the intermediate future for the Giants. You know, it's not a bad thing to be. Um, but that means his fate is tied to Brandon Crawford's. And I did see Brandon Crawford had a, a little gaggle uh, in front of his uh, locker. So 
uh, he told people in that gaggle that uh, he's hoping to return this weekend. He was being questioned by reporters and not followed by geese. I just wanted you to, I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> but, <laughs> Why uh, were the geese following Brandon Crawford? He got bread in his pockets. <laughs> the scrum, sorry. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, uh, he may be back down again pretty soon if, if Crawford's coming back. Um, do we see uh, somebody else that you know, the Giants would rather send down than, um, than him? I mean, if Casey Schmidt's not playing the outfield, you know, that infield gets fairly crowded with Crawford back. You've got Crawford, Estrada, Flores, Davis, Wade, Jr. Um, mm, Wisely or VR, I think, could be corresponding moves. Who do you like better between Wisely and VR? I saw Wisely make a few nice defensive plays in that series against the Brewers, but uh, I, I don't know if I see enough there offensively. I thought VR was going to hit because kind of the the opposite of, of Schmidt where he got a lot of time in the upper levels of the minor leagues. He showed power. David VR hit for pretty big power at double A AA and triple A. And relatively speaking, especially Sacramento, even though it's in the PCL, is not one of those offensively charged environments. So I was able to I was able to look at those numbers and tell myself the story that it might actually be more meaningful because of where he was doing it. And even their double A affiliate, Richmond, for a long time is one of the more pitcher friendly environments. So just to see twenty plus home run power in less than full minor league seasons from VR made me think this could actually work out. So far, it really hasn't. It's a 202-301-409 line with 13 homers and 279 plate appearances. The power has translated, but the rest of the offensive profile is lacking. Yeah, I I have a feeling that he's got a hole. Um, you know, he's got uh, these worrisome fly ball rates that are very high. And... Uh, now that I'm looking at his contact rate, uh, you know, you can see uh, he does so by targeting the high pitch, but he has awful, awful contact rates on low pitches. Uh, he's got some 40% contact rates inside the zone low. If you look at his heat map, it's really small in terms of contact rate. It's uh, just high and tight. And, uh, you know, even high and away, uh, is uh, is poor for him. So there's a lot of blue on that, and I think that's one evaluator told me that he thought David VR was headed for Japan, um, and I, I think I could see that. It's I think the combination of uh, hit tool and uh, the type of swing that he has, the type of approach that he has, is uh, too exploitable. I mean that's what we're seeing. Um, and if they do send him down, I think the the directive will be find a way to do something on those low pitches. It makes a lot of sense because the, the numbers sort of jumped off the page those last two minor league stops. And even last year when he debuted, he was pretty good despite the 32% K rate. It looked encouraging enough to, in deeper leagues, NL only leagues, take that flyer and and see if he could turn himself into a semi-regular. He is the type of player that, you know, maybe the uh, maybe the other teams didn't have as much of a book on, right? Like, he's not... He wasn't ever somebody that, like, you know, Fangraphs had him as the 33rd best prospect for the Giants, you know. So if you're an opposing team and they call up their 33rd best prospect, do you have a book on him already? <laughs> um, and then if Fewer you were chapters, probably then the more uh, prominent prospects. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it, you know, this year might be the year where, uh, you know, let me see if I can see real quick uh, pitch percentage. Uh, you know, this year pretty low in the zone. Uh, and well, last year they were already thrown in low in the zone. I don't know. 
maybe he just uh he just something something's not right for him but yeah i don't i I don't have that much hope for him we we've i've i've uh like tried to stream him a little bit for when the schedule was good and you know tried to use him for some power especially in that league where i'm kind of trying to figure out third base a little bit but uh i don't i'm not i'm not in Wisely has uh, something that the Giants do need, which is the ability to play center field. And so I bet you he stays up, even though he doesn't even have a team prospect rank. <laughs> uh, and he's another one of these, like, could be better than uh, prospect, than Scout said he was. Uh, does have good patience and contact ability. The power uh, is a big question mark, and uh, the patience hasn't ported over yet to the big leagues. So if you were betting today on the player that gets more big league playing time in the long run or generates more war in the long run, would you bet on Wisely or would you bet on VR? I think Wisely just because the Giants' use usage... Um, you know, let's say uh, let's say Crawford comes back and Schmidt survives, uh, and and VR goes down. Oh, but see, you said war. Schmidt could have outstanding defense, backing up Crawford at short and replacing Davis uh, late in games, or pushing Davis to first, or even playing second, right? Whereas wisely plays center when Yastrzemski is hurt and they're facing a righty because Slater plays against all lefties mostly in center I think it's wisely there's about a five percent difference in strikeout rate at double a when you compare them wisely is a little bit younger than VR is right now like playing up the middle is enough to help you know gain that same sort of and defensive value and you might lefty. be good at it mm-hmm Could yeah, all right. on a big That's side enough of to switch it for me so maybe a guy that I should have been more interested in when the Giants acquired him, but uh, interesting to see him getting a chance along with Casey Schmidt right now. We got some pitching injury news to follow up on so Jacob Degrom. Many injuries. So Degrom may maybe two to three weeks away from a return, which seems like a very positive outcome. And then it just leads you to the inevitable question of okay, so let's say he's back in two Is to it three weeks now. Is he yeah, is he good for the rest of the season? Is he good for a month? Is he good for two starts? Like we we don't we don't know. But the, this is the maddening thing about this season. The Jacob deGrom pattern has been so frustrating for the last three seasons now. We'll count this as the third season, 2021, 2022, 2023, all dealing with injuries like this. You knew what you, you were signing up for. Is there any reason to keep hope that he'll hit a point where he just gets past this? without having some kind of surgery, you know, like elbow, shoulder, forearm, whatever. It's so, it's so frustrating because he's so good on a per inning basis. Yeah. He's, uh, he's really trying to avoid that. I mean, he already, you, you knew he already had TJ, right? So yeah, back in college. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, having TJ that early, uh, does have ramifications for the length of your career in terms of just what the statistics say. So, I don't know. I, I I would just love to see what he could do sitting ninety five. I mean, I just would I would love to have him try that ninety five with an eighty eight mile an hour slider. I have a feeling he'd be, still be really good. Might give up a, a couple runs and might you know drop some f bombs, but 
<laughs> uh, I, I have a feeling that he he would get more innings out of himself. But you know, I think there's a larger question here, which is, you know, we are in the midst of, I don't know, what looks to be one of the worst uh, injury seasons ever for for pitching. Uh, you know, when when Britt and I uh, did that story with Will Salmon. We had it up to May 1st, and you know, since May 1st, we've already added uh, starting pitchers on the IL. Uh, Chad Cool, Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, Tyler Malley, Kyle Wright, Jake Woodford, Vince Velazquez, Ryan Yarbrough, Jose Suarez, Max Freed. We're like a week and a little bit into, the, into May. We've already added that many pitchers, and a couple of them are out for the season. So... Uh, it is. It's a tough, a tough road out there. I remember the chart you had in that story, and how you know there were some other years that were within reach. You know, you could look at it and say, okay, that's probably within like a one standard deviation of a normal season. Still, so we're not, we're not just gonna like ring every alarm bell and, and you know stop the pitch clock now, just shut it down. It wasn't at that level. But I think what's surprising me is when you go through this list that I, I put together. It is a lot of longer term injuries. It's not just, you know, I strained the hamstring, I'm gonna miss a couple turns, we're gonna we're gonna play it safe. It's six week injuries and up, right? It's a lot of forearms, elbows, shoulders, lats, all sorts of things. It started back in spring training. It doesn't seem like it's accelerating yet. It just seems like it's not slowing down at all. Like it it wasn't a blip. It wasn't an early season. All the guys that were going to break broke, and now we're going to settle in. It's no guys are going to keep breaking. It goes back to what we've said before, though. This this isn't new, and I'm not blaming this on the pitch clock because I don't think we can blame it on the pitch clock. It, there's just not a, not enough information yet. It's too early to do that. But the bigger problem facing every major league team right now is how do we slow this down? It's it's a billion dollar question to solve, and it just doesn't seem like anyone is necessarily getting there. The other thing that stands out to me is almost every team, not quite, but almost every team has been affected by this. And this is just starting pitchers that I was looking at, where it was top to bottom, at least one from every depth chart. You start getting into relievers, plenty of relievers have been blowing out too with various injuries. So it's it's really, it's really troubling. And it, it doesn't seem like our hypothesis about the pitch clock was maybe guys will take a little off. Right. That's not happening. I mean, I think the thing is that that could still be that's still on the table for a second order, uh, you know, second order result. Right. Effect and a, a way of, of correcting, saying, hey, look, we're down way too many guys. So or just you- as a pitcher yourself, just being like, uh, you know, I can't handle this, you know, and uh you know, I tried to just do what I did before and I just spent the year on the injured list, you know? And so next year I want to be healthy. So I'm going to try and train a little bit differently. So it's not something that'll happen right away. I still have some hope that it will happen, um, but not much evidence that it will happen. And that's because uh, the gas man gets paid. Uh, but, um, you know, also like, what do we do what do we do now in this new reality, if it is a new reality in our leagues? And I think there's, there's, there's two ways to go, right? One is just be merciless and cut anybody who's hurt and don't even, don't even (laughs) wait for the bad news. 
just eliminate your injury optimism with pitching right now. Just, just as soon as they're on the IL, gone. I'm not going to wait around for this guy. Even and the and the extreme of that would be job drop Jake Degrom. Right, Degrom, Woodruff, Glass. Now earlier in the year, we've had all sorts of chances to run through this problem. And I hear that, and and it. I wonder if it is by the numbers the right move, but I want to try this out. The Say it out loud and see if it works. Could it be in the light of this to would it actually be better maybe to hold guys longer? And my reasoning is this the mightily covered is going to get bare, it's going to get worse. And you kind of think, oh, I'm going to find like what's the idea? You drop the injured pitcher and you're like, I'm going to find something on the wire, right? But what happens to the wire over time is just that it's going to get worse because you're Thins losing out, right. supply, right? So as the wire gets worse, it might actually make sense to pick up a reliever and try to ride it out and put a guy in who gets a save every two weeks or something, but gives you innings and keeps you afloat and gets you some K's, you know? Um, so I'm not sure what to do. Uh, I'm nursing uh, Taj Bradley, Tyler Glass now in a couple places. Um, you know, just looking at this injured list, uh, I think I I don't have that many. I have no shares of Max Freed because uh, my projections didn't love him. Um, but if I did, I think I'd hold him. You know, I wouldn't trade for him. Somebody asked me if, if they would trade for Max Freed right now. I said no. Yeah, uh, Kyle Wright seems problem. to be around the place where I would drop. Uh, Tyler Malley uh, is somebody in in redraft leagues I would drop because the news was pretty bad and he went on the sixty day. But in dynasty, I have I have a I have a league a twelve team dynasty league that's just overflowing. All my IL spots are taken up and now bench spots are being taken up by hurt people, and uh, I'm staring at Tyler Malley just being like. You know, in this 12 team, is he, should I just drop and move on? Um, you know, there's other ones. Jose Arquiti is an easy drop. Luis Garcia, obviously out for the year. Um, you know, but it gets, it does get hard. I mean, Kenta Maeda is probably hard in, in deeper leagues to, to, to figure out what you want to do with him. Um, Brandon Woodruff, I think, is the, the hardest decision out there right now. Yeah, and the further you get, down the road of being close to his recovery, the harder it is to say, I waited this long. Yeah. I waited a month, so why wouldn't I wait another four to six weeks? I cut him right at the beginning. You're not like going to week get after the injury. stats on the wire, though. No, you won't. And it was really more of a choice of, I just want to make sure that I'm maxing out playing time and having options up and down my roster every week. I mean, we're seeing, and this is where my, my ongoing frustration with how the how the fantasy baseball tends to work in weekly leagues is is growing. You know, you had the the Max Scherzer neck injury, which maybe is minor. That pops up on a Tuesday, but all of your pitchers have locked for the week by the time you get that information, so you're Ramon stuck Loriano. waiting. Yeah, the, the timing of injury news, is it, it impacts everyone. So I'm not saying, woe is me, I'm the only one dealing with this, but I'm saying it's not a really good gameplay experience to have guys get hurt and be in situations where you could have replaced them and you obviously would have played someone but just to not be able to do it that doesn't Mm -hmm. seem good 
our friend Yancey Eaton was suggesting, you know, having some different kinds of mulligans where you could spend fab to get them and bid fab to get them, which it got me thinking. It's like, what if there was something else to spend fab on? Because one problem with fab is that we're all throwing buckets of money at the same players. If there were some strategic things you could unlock with your fab dollars, perhaps that would be more interesting. I like the line of thinking. I thought maybe we maybe we have something there for the future. I think it would still just get used for streaming. Probably. Where people would just uh, have an early Monday start and then spend fab to you know, put a starter in that spot after they banked a start. Do you like fab better with the $1,000 budget that the NFBC has? Or do you like it better with the $100 budget in leagues like Labor? Like just think about how it flows over the what course I, of the entire season and how you handle it and how the league handles it. And what I like about the thousand is that there's a ten cent bid, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that becomes super valuable at the end of the season. Like they're definitely the last couple of fab runs. You're like, ooh, I'm so glad I have five bucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> and those five bucks wouldn't exist in the hundred dollar thing, right? What if the answer is an is a number between a hundred and a thousand? Like, what if a thousand is too much, but a hundred is too little, and you want to have three hundred? But I hate the numbers in between because it's very easy to say, like, you know, hey, use ten percent. Yeah, but you could still say that. Yeah, you could still say it's, that. <laughs> but then you have to do some math before you do the bit. Ten percent of three forty is thirty four. I think people can just move the. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm thinking more about it because I, I see it happening in so many leagues where it's just firing away. Here's, here's a big chunk of my budget. I don't even care because I know I'm not going to spend it all. And I think there's, there's some truth to that. Is there a benefit to just backing off and being less aggressive than everybody else in the first month and a half or two months, saving the money, creating the hammer for yourself for June, July, August, September, and then just winning a higher percentage of bids for the final sliding, four months. There's a sliding relationship, though, because you're getting less out of them because you're going to get, you know, the, the the holy grail is six months out of somebody, you know? Right. And I wonder if that just happens so infrequently that we're, we're chasing something that's And there a was a good Razzball tweet about this where they tweeted about the rookie starters that everybody had spent a ton of uh, money on and what their value has been so far and uh, how none of them have really produce the value that people wanted with their big bids and that's an unfortunate uh, sort of conclusion i'm coming to as having spent a lot on taj bradley and just hoping he comes back as soon um yeah i think that's that's a tough one for me uh i generally don't think the rookies are worth it but when in fab i spend like a more of a drunken sailor because we do have guys that come up and it feels like this is this guy has so much more upside than spending $10 on Casey Schmidt. But where I was going yesterday, when when your case of the ass became my case of the ass, <laughs> and I said, just forget everything. Give me the crappy players. What I was really trying to get at was give me the guys who are going to play that nobody else is excited about because they yeah. end up being bargains. Playing time ends up driving final stats because you get the counting stats. Yes, you take on performance risk with the less talented players but if you can find the casey schmidt types you said think of an example Alex of someone Call. that no one liked who ended up being good one of the examples i have is tommy edmund a few years ago mm. did anyone care about tommy edmund as a prospect outside of cardinals fans i don't remember anyone being excited about that guy he was a really cheap pickup for me back in the rdi days and he would have been a five-year keeper 
easily because of his power-speed combo, right? And I think those types of players end up being sneaky good, and they they just cruise under the radar. Like the only Elder thing they're doing is playing. for 30 and 40 when everyone else is going for 200. Yeah, so you get a few more bites at the apple. I guess the, the counter-argument to that would be, what if Tommy Edmond, or the equivalent of Tommy, what if Casey Schmidt plays for a week or two weeks? It just goes back down. doesn't do a lot, and then you have to make a decision. Like, he's playing, but are they going to keep playing him? Because within our range of outcomes, we have to be able to think the way the organization thinks, see those next best options, and say, okay, do the Twins really think Kyle Farmer's better than, than Juan Miranda? Oh, I, I guess they do. They have more information than us, and have different goals. They're trying to win real life games. So we think Miranda's obviously better, but Farmer is going to be a better defender. I mean, they were just using him at short. And you know, I'm tired when I say Juan Miranda instead of Jose Miranda. That is, <laughs> that is rough. That is a big E DVR. And we were both two tired dads today. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. You were telling me, I, I don't know what I'm going to do when there are just more people in the bed like it's already 50 pound golden doodle it's it's enough I, there's no more room yeah we had two two doggies and a, and a boy coming off a bad dream and uh and a stupid cat stupid 5 a.m cat scratching at the door i know i'll never have a cat so that's a good thing <laughs> So it's not just starting pitchers, like we said. It, Jose Alvarado is hurt. MRI mm -hmm. is being reviewed right now, so we'll get more information probably in the next 24 hours or so. Obviously, it's a 15-day IL stint at a bare minimum, but it's an elbow injury, which puts us back to a familiar question. Who closes for the Phillies while Alvarado is out? He picked up five saves so far this season. Sub-2 ERA, great whip, zero walks for a guy that's always had trouble with walks a 13 percent career walk rate to go even five or six weeks with zero walks is incredible mm -hmm. maybe it should give us just a little glimmer of hope for edward cabrera as a reliever someday yeah nevertheless i think my pick is sir anthony dominguez uh he's not coming off his best uh appearance but uh, but, you know he gave up six uh he gave up four earned runs in his first appearance with no outs. And then uh, four days later, or four appearances later, gave up three earned runs in uh, in one inning. And all of his other appearances put together one earned run. And the model likes him, and he's gotten holds. Uh, and they're not using Craig Kimbrell at all. 762 ERA, 162 whip this season for Kimbrell. And I know the model still says it's he's good, and you know maybe with time he can figure it out. That's the the worst thing about being a reliever is, you know, you're like like Sir Anthony Dominguez. You take away his first start, you know, I can do that math real quick. Uh, but you take away his first start, and you know everything looks different. Like say, let's say the season started on April third. He has a two fifty one ERA with fifteen strikeouts in fourteen and a third innings and five holds. Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, Kimbrell had, I think, one rough outing back on April 1st, and the Dodgers got to him twice, and that's what really sort of sent everything sideways. Six earned runs in just one inning over two appearances against this former club. That'll, that'll mess up the ratios pretty bad when you're talking about 13 innings total. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Smoltz talked about it where, you know, he's like, as a starter, it was easier to overcome a bad start just in terms of numbers and bulk and sample, you know. 
he said, I hated the one thing I hated about being a reliever was, you know, you could spend a month trying to undo a bad outing as a reliever. Long road to recovery. I think I'm with you on Dominguez, given the recent form for Kimbrel. It's been such a up and down battle. If we knew that Jose Alvarado was even capable of improving his control half as much as he did, he would have been the hands down favorite from the very beginning. But that was a skills change that I didn't see coming. Uh, maybe other people somehow saw it, but. Why would that happen now after after so much time? I think that's a really interesting development, and I, I wanted to see what would happen over a larger volume of innings. Was that going to hold? Was it going to be the reliever equivalent of Robbie Ray cutting his walk rate a few years ago? We, this does happen sometimes. It's just it's hard to buy into it until you see it for really like a full season for guys that have four and five years of walk troubles. Yeah, and, and location plus is not that much of a help because... Uh... You know, you're not talking about a lot of, of pitches yet for these relievers, but uh, really nice location plus this year. So, you know, something something did change, I think, probably. I don't know. I would say that with relievers, if we're talking about rookie or, or big Fabulpalooza starters not being worth $200, uh, I don't think I would spend, uh, you know, $200 being 20%. I don't think I would spend 10%. Uh, much, uh, much more than ten percent. I think I would actually try to keep it under ten percent um, when picking up relievers. Um, just uh, like I like sort of thirty to sixty and seventy uh, out of a thousand uh, for relievers that you think are going to close. It's going to take some money, but there's usually like two per week, right? That's <laughs> it's like that's how I've seen it. Uh, you know, there was Adam was a big one last week, but I got Alzale behind him for like 30 bucks. Maybe that was too much. Uh, we're, we're yet to see. But uh, it, I didn't want to spend, I think uh, Adam went for like 120. I just didn't want to spend that because what if Fairbanks comes back next week? You know, what if Alvarado just needs two weeks off? So I would buy Sir Anthony Dominguez, but I would put him on a bid stream with other relievers on it that had some and would top out at. 50 something and you know have a couple at the bottom for three i know we had a question about you know, how do we do fab it was kind of a broad question that came in we were talking about it a little bit on the friday show last week with al and i was thinking about it from a thousand dollar budget perspective it's basically it's 26 week season so make the math easy say it's 25 take a thousand divide by 25 it's 40 bucks a week if you gave yourself a 40 dollar a week budget and then you could just say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take some from the end of the season and move it to the front every time I overspend. I think that sort of budgeting would make you a lot more disciplined as a player. We did do that. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I you can hammer more anytime that. you need to. There's situations where you spend more, but if you just kind of think about staying on that track and, and doing that, I think it might keep you, if you're like me, from just going all in on too many of the shiny new toys. And it also, you, what's nice about that approach is you can recalculate. So now whatever you have now, see how many weeks are left, divided by that many weeks. And so now you're like, oh, I have $15 a week. Right. Ooh. So then if you then if you keep it in your pants for a week and you're like, ah, oh, I got it back up to 18. <laughs> so. Keep the wallet in your pants pocket, in the purse, wherever you like to keep your money. Uh -huh. Just keep it in there. That's fine. And the other thing, I mean, you could just not bid on players for a week. That's always an option too. If you don't have injuries, if you don't have... If you don't have a need, you could not bid, or you could just bid mins and just 
you know, maybe shuffle some things around. I'd, I think there's a temptation when we have this one opportunity every week to change our roster to do something. And sometimes doing nothing oh, is better know, than doing something. Oh, you know, that reminds me of a little bit is uh, what the Cardinals are doing. <laughs> yeah. Let's do something. We can't sit still. <laughs> we can't just wait for regression. Let's do something. <laughs> Trying to stir up. It doesn't work that way. It just does not work that way. Well, having the Cardinals won a couple games. I was like, I was so annoyed when I saw that. <laughs> Three in a row. <laughs> Three in a row. Three in a you row. You did something. And... Congratulations. It was all Wilson Contreras. Apologies. Yes. <laughs> he was the problem. No, it's like you look at the line from last night. Oh, Jack Flaherty pitched last night. Hey, he went five. Oh, he gave up three earned on seven hits and walked five, only struck out three, and gave up a home run. He's not up a any homer. better pitching wise. They just scored runs. <laughs> Same exact dude. Didn't want to answer questions about his velocity being down after the game, which look. I can respect that as a pitcher, you know what your velocity being down means. It either means you're hurt, your mechanics are out of whack. Something's wrong if your velocity's down. So to have the reporters, to have the, the gaggle show up at your locker Don't want to talk and about ask you that. questions about it, that could make you upset. I understand that. That being said, that's kind of your job. Part of your job is to answer those and questions. Also, like, don't berate them for not understanding pitching. The only way people are going to understand is that they ask you, the person doing it, questions. Yeah, that's the only way to get more that. information. How are you feeling? What's going on? Tell us why this is happening because we don't understand, Jack. He could have said, yeah, that's why we're asking you questions. We're, we're trying to understand. And he could have said all the same things he said with a totally different t- twinge on it. If he just said, you know, it's just all part of trying to get through a game. You know, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Sometimes it's about getting through the inning. Sometimes it's about, you know, saving bullets. Sometimes it's about, you know, throwing harder to get a guy out. Right, oh, tone is a big deal there. That was, was that so hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. you read the transcript, and you're like, okay. And then you hear it, and you're like, oh, okay, that's a little different. You'd expect this from a guy struggling for the first time. This isn't new. Maybe it's a similar line of questioning to what he's been hearing for parts of two-plus seasons now. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. upset because he thought getting rid of Wilson Contreras would make him better. <laughs> and then he Come was on. like, nope, I'm still not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was it, but it's just like, come on, man, just figure it out. You're a pro. Answer the questions. Don't don't be mad at reporters for trying to understand more about the craft. That's not the problem here. I was wondering, at what point do you think we can look at the pitch clock and performers and say, hey, maybe there's something here between someone who was previously very slow, who had to adjust. Uh, the person I'm thinking of is, of course, a brewer because he's one of the slower starters in the league. It's Corbin Burns, and I think it's more me grasping at straws trying to understand why is Corbin Burns' strikeout rate so low? Like a 19.8% K rate for Corbin Burns? That's kind of weird. Walk rate's up a little bit too. Just doesn't look like himself out there right now. And you take a look at some other things going on with him. Velo is down slightly, but not, not an enormous amount. Enough to be a little worried, but how much of that could be fatigue? How much of that could be something else entirely? That that can't be separated very easily. So at what point during the season would you look at someone and say, adjustments to the pitch clock might really be the problem here without asking them directly? I feel like you're not going to get many pitchers on the record to say, I'm struggling because of this. Because yeah, it seems like they're whining about Escape it. Scapegoating and whining, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to tell. And, and, and you know... Burns had that just such an interesting offseason with the 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 bad uh, arbitration case and the the bad blood with the with the 
with the, the Brewers. Yeah, with the front office. I mean, it, on the one hand, you'd think, yeah, if it, I'm furious, I'm coming back and yeah, I'm as good as I've ever and, been. Yeah. Within the range of outcomes on that, and this is no, I have no idea what happens. Like if you if you're mad about something, you ever do something when you're really mad? You hurry through something, or you go lift weights it's when you're not really usually mad. Better. Usually, you hurt yourself, and yeah. I'm not saying that's what Corbin Burns did. But that extra motivation sometimes can actually be bad. If you, if you were already very good or great at what you were doing and you go in there and you go harder, sometimes harder actually hurts. Yeah. You know, the, the swing strike rate is showing uh, some signs of rebounding. It, it, uh, it really started poor, uh, but uh, it's back up to 13% uh, on the rolling uh, number. Um, and uh, that would be closer to in line with what he's done before. Um, and my tendency is, uh, you know, somewhat like with Dustin May, the, you know, what you have in these two guys is um, two players that have high stuff numbers um, and uh, low strikeout rates and low swing strike rates. And people are kind of glued to those because we've used those so long. But I think he's going to strike more people out going forward. And I think he'll be fine. Uh, the stuff plus is not is exactly where it was last year, but it's w- well within the, uh, the the framework of aging, I believe. Um, and you know, uh, among all qualified starters, uh, I believe he's still. Let me see where he is. He is seventh. You know, ahead still of very good Gossman, McClanahan. You know, Cease. I don't know. I think there's a lot of I think there's it's great stuff there. Dustin May, uh, you know, he has a longer history of not striking people out, and I, you know, of course, uh, you know, balls in play is part of the model, and there's it's possible uh, that there is some sort of wobble in the model because, you know, we used to have a shift. The model was born in the shift, and so. You know, we're taking a model that looked at balls and played during the time of the shift and trying to apply it during a time when the shift has been limited. Um, so at the same time, I would say Dustin May has a 245 lifetime BABIP over 184 innings. It's not quite enough to sort of award him that skill. Uh, but if you're looking for why my model is more upbeat about him than uh, most projections, I would say... It has to do with that BABIP number as much as it has to do with thinking that he's going to strike more people out. And every projection system says he's going to strike more people out. His his career says he's going to whiff more and strike more people out. So sorry, that was uh, that was a random uh, digression <laughs> there. But uh, generally, I, I'm not worried about Corbin Burns, but I do uh, tend to wonder uh, about older older players older starters and if they you know they used to be such a good bet you know older starters have been being such a good bet for such a long time um and i wonder if this will be the year where like we were reminded of all the body parts that can go on an older pitcher max max scherzer's neck and i mean that's the thing though with max scherzer the overall durability for most of his career, there are way more W's there than L's. If you took that bet on Max Scherzer for the last seven years, mm-hmm. you've taken by volume only two workload L's. If you want to count this year and last year in there, everything else is good. 170 plus innings in this era has to be a win, especially for guys in their later 30s. So if he finally is broken now, if Verlander finally breaks down now, like that's 
remarkable durability. That's your car that lasted 300,000 miles and then finally sputtered out on you. Like, oh, okay, well, that, that worked out really well. It was durable until it wasn't. That's what those guys effectively were. And they, they could still be fine. I also wonder, too, this came up maybe last week on the 3.0 show. The minor leaguers who've been working with the pitch clock already might be a little ahead of the curve, relatively speaking, in that they're, they're already adapted to this. They're, their method of training, their body's responses, their everything and their routine has already been starting to adapt to that faster pace. I wonder if there's going to be a lag for the guys that have this longer period of time where they didn't have to deal with that. Will it, will it be something that after a half season they adapt to or a full season or two seasons or will it never happen in some cases? Like that, All possible, all unknown, but that's something to think about as well. I mean, another funny thing about Burns is that it was Burns and Shohei Otani among starters who were the slowest starters by tempo last year. Otani's been another amazing version of himself. It hasn't really been a case where we're sitting here going, what's wrong with Otani on the mound? Is he tired? Is something up with Otani? Like, no. You talk to the trainers. I mean, I don't don't know uh, what Burns did in the offseason, but definitely, uh, you know, at driveline, they were pretty aggressive with putting the clock out on, on them and, like, simulating clock experiences in the offseason so yeah that seems like it's fairly easy to do though you think that burns would have done the same but you know some people did and some people didn't i think we saw that in spring training pretty quickly that there were some teams that were just like we're gonna figure it out in spring training and other teams are like no we've got a couple weeks before let's let's try this out first and even with that the violations we were seeing initially those have all tapered off too so it's much less of a concern from a taking the automatic ball perspective than it was back when the spring started. But I was on a show with a former pitcher uh, in Chris Townsend uh, here on the A's network. And um, his opinion was just that uh, baseball is going to have to cycle through the older pitchers that aren't, aren't good with it. And that's what's just going to, what's going to happen. And that's just going to push old pitchers out. Yeah. And the younger, younger pitchers are all totally cool with it. And that has actually been my experience talking to pitchers. Like I don't even bother asking young pitchers about the clock anymore because they don't, it's almost like, you know, they don't know any better. You know, it's like, they don't, they're like, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. You know, they like, they don't even have an opinion on it. They're just like, it's, it's baseball. That's what it's like. (laughs) So, so I think we're going to, we're going to get to people that are like that. The, the weird thing is that they're not throwing any softer, the younger kids. No, they're not holding anything back. So, the, so we'll, let's take something off to stay healthy. Um, that they're, they're not testing that hypothesis for us yet. No, no. And will it? So will we just have more uh, careers that burn bright and shorter? Uh, we have already having that with like Mason Miller coming up and people oh, blowing gosh. tons of fab on him, and he's back on the IL. So uh, you know that's uh, that's something to consider. Um, but it may may want to push you, if we're talking strategies, it may want to push you in the future towards drafting younger pitchers. You know, so you mentioned burning out fast and bright. Just in the last few days, Matt Harvey announced his retirement, right? You think back to mm. 2012 through 2015, that three-year stretch, Matt Harvey was as good as anybody, right? Harvey Day was a day that everybody's excited about. stuff plus. I'm thinking peak Matt Harvey would have had some really good stuff plus numbers, and it just fell apart on him. It was one of the faster declines from elite top end dominant pitcher seasons. to he didn't just go from top of the line, top of the rotation 
excellent stuff too. Like oh, 380 ERA, 125 whip and strike. He didn't. He missed. The, he missed a couple stops. Dude, he went from sub three to five plus pretty quickly. <laughs> he went from a, a a true number one to a guy that had to battle to keep his rotation spot by numbers. That's how before his team control was up even. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's not a great outcome at no. all. It's bad for everyone. Bad for Harvey. Bad for fans. Bad for everyone. There has been some, I think, advancement in the understanding of, of healthy mechanics. Um, there might be some listening who uh, don't believe that or believe that, you know, there are certain people on the outside who know better about healthy mechanics than people inside baseball. Uh, I think that the, the truth of the matter is velocity is rewarded. And uh, so therefore, everybody uh, wants to throw harder and throwing harder causes stress. Yes, there are some people out there who espouse certain types of mechanics that may keep you healthier, but they also produce people who throw 91. And that's just not an option in today's baseball. Now you'll get hit if that's what you're throwing up there. I was thinking back to looking at Mark Pryor's baseball reference page. Mark Pryor's ceiling was not quite as high as Matt Harvey's ceiling and he burned out even faster. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's the poster child. Uh, he had two seasons. The difference was it was two very good seasons, and then he was fine for 04 and 05, and then and it then fell apart done. in 06. Like, just it not even over. able to pitch again. Health, just gone. Done. Yeah. That's Awful. rough, too. Awful. It's cool that he's still around the game as a pitching coach. But then, you know, to like take the Mark Pryor thing and like put it in the context of what we're doing today, and we're all trying to get mark Pryor, at least if if we can't have you know max scherzer and justin verlander anymore you know if we can't have the old starting pitcher anymore because of this new environment then we're all going to want the young pitcher but how many 200 dollars fab bids do we have to burn to get the one mark Pryor? <laughs> you know? uh yeah. so it's it's you're kind of screwed on both ends um I, I, we tried to, in our main, take an approach where we were going to take some horses. And it didn't always look amazing uh, by Stuff Plus, but like we took uh, Logan, we went with Corbin Burns first. We took Logan Gilbert, Jordan Montgomery, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Jameson Tyon uh, in the middle there, and Savali. And, and we were like, these are guys who are going to give us innings. We need innings. These guys are going to give us innings. They may not be guys who can jump up to be aces, but they're going to give us innings. And we've been more or less right, as you can tell from the names that I put out there. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been hard hoeing for everybody, I think. Um, but uh, there's definitely an adjustment to be made to the current pitching environment. Uh, and I don't know if we can make it in season. It's kind of hard to turn the, sh the tanker around that quick. But when it comes to next year, uh, I think there's going to be a uh, a sweet spot that I'm looking for where guys have had at least one year experience in the big leagues and they're not 38. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to buy in between those two things. <laughs> The mo the longer I play, the more I stare at baseball and study it. I, I know this is a this is true of many things. The less I know, it's, just, yeah. it's a constant reminder. It's like if I thought I knew ten percent of what I could know about baseball, 
going into this season. I'm down to like 5% now. <laughs> and last year, I started at 20 and dropped to 10. So it's every it's year. It's worse. Like, I should be learning more and getting better at this. And it feels like it's uh, it's like running in an underwater treadmill situation or something. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, it, it puts you, I think it should put in context the people who say they know everything. It's like, how? How do you keep looking at this and thinking you know everything? I think you solved it, yeah. It's crazy when you look at the, the volume of innings thrown we think about DeGrom as someone who's missed a lot of time, who's not durable. If you go back through 2017, DeGrom is 16th in baseball in innings pitched, 877. So only 15 guys have thrown more innings than DeGrom since 2017. That's and wild. Like Garrett Cole, number one. Aaron Nola, yeah, he's a horse. Zach Greinke, okay, yep, old, not throwing very hard anymore, but staying healthy. Patrick Corbin, some of that time he was still good. <laughs> yeah, not not a metric of how good you are, just how much you pitched. <laughs> well, yeah, availability. Ability yeah. is contained within. You, you have to be good enough to keep pitching or have been good enough to get a big contract to keep getting the innings. <laughs> yeah. But he was good enough at the Corbin, beginning to I think get the is contract. Just absorbing innings for his team right now. Sure. Yeah, someone's got to go out there and do it. Uh, Max Scherzer, number five on this list. Jose Barrios is the other pitcher over a thousand in that time. And Barrios, uh, hopefully, is not going down the Corbin path just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herman Marquez doing it mostly, almost entirely, I think, in Colorado. So, you know, kind of unfortunate. No one, that no one noticed. That durability has been wasted. Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn, Charlie Morton, Kevin Gossman, Zach Wheeler, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, you Darvish, and then DeGrom. And the overwhelming majority of those guys got big contracts or will get a big contract. I don't think Aaron Nola. So, really had so his innings head. are actually sort of rewarded, you know? Yeah, they are, but it's more just like staying healthy enough to get to the big contract. If young pitchers are just blowing out and, and falling apart before they can even get to the free agency phase. There's a lesson to be learned there maybe for a young pitcher. It's like, yeah, I got to put up some innings too. It can't just be the, the gas. Well, that's the yeah that that's the problem that you know you, you said Matthew Liebertor once said he has to take his own take development into his own hands. I mean mm-hmm. this is true of all pitchers, but th- you got to figure something out with health. You have to find a way to get from point A to point B because nobody inside the game has solved it yet. Like there was a mailbag question about what teams are good at avoiding injuries and is this something the Rays are bad at? We've talked about it from the context of the Rays are just willing to embrace the already injured players. They see they see players that come cheaper via trade than they should or players who are more available as scrap heap type free agents and they just say it's fine let's just see what happens and that's ultimately going to lead to a lot of time on the il we could look at a multi-year study and say oh who who actually avoided the il but i think you'd also want to know you had to compare apples to apples you have to have you'd have to account for velocity you have to account for you know sitting versus max velocity that differential you'd have to account for how he was used how many innings he like how many pitches he's throwing and then then you really want to account for how many high stress pitches he was throwing and then you want to account for maybe how many high velocity breaking balls was he throwing and how many zero two counts was he in and you know that sort of stuff so it's it becomes really hard that's what we, that's the one thing that sort of came to me when we did this uh, piece about the pitch clock is yes you know the pitch clock might be having some effect but there it's so complicated there's so many other things that go into it like velocity is up again always you know it's always always up it's up for 33 year olds it's up third time through the order it's up for everybody you know and that's a main main source of stress so if injuries are going like this, 
in velocity. It's yeah, also going right. like this. <laughs> it's not just it's not correlation means causation, but that's that's a that's a place to start at least. It's one thing to look at. Let's let's try this. Let's just try eighty percent of our max. See how that goes. <laughs> yeah. See if we still get most of the same guys. See how out quickly you get fired from your player development job if you tell all the pitchers to throw at eighty percent of max. <laughs> oh, it's uh, there's your answer. How come no one's trying this? Like, well, would you like to use lose your job in baseball being <laughs> yeah, exactly. the first one to try? <laughs> yeah. It does seem like a thing that a team could, could I, I don't know, it, it'll be a smaller market team with less pressure, it's someone, some team that can get away with these types of things. Well, the, you know, what you really would want to do is to kind of do uh, uh, like an internal study, right? Where in order to do a study right, what do you have to do? You have to have like the, the test bit, the control bit. And like the other, bit, you have right? willing participants. You have to, yeah. be able to sign up. Well, uh, but see, in in baseball, you could be like, well, they're willing participants because they're you know in my organization, you know. So <laughs> that's not the best science. So but, then, okay. yes, but then there's also the ethics of like, okay, well, we're gonna take these lower value prospects and tell all of them, you know, to sit lower and see how their health outcomes are. Ooh. How would you like to be one of those prospects and be like, you want me to do what? That's awful. Is this going to help me to get to the <laughs> so big leagues? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't run it like that. You just have to have an organizational philosophy. But even still, people take enough well, then, of their development on their own where they're going to wait, go do their own thing. You still have to wait like six to six, ten years. <laughs> you have to wait six years to know you're right. And in the meantime, your guys are throwing less hard. Yeah, in, in a league where guys can hit premium velocity. So you now you're not, you're not even bringing that. Hey, how come, you know... How come the Marlins, you know, their their guys are throwing ninety three and maxed out at ninety eight? Like that's weird. <laughs> Would you be more willing to do it in a in a home park that was a cavernous home park? Mm. Like is is that part of this? Like ah, oh, we actually got a pretty big park, so I think it might fine. be interesting we'll some... to do it as an expansion team because expansion teams are born into rebuilding almost. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And so and born with young players, a lot of you know. So, you know, you could just try it as an organizational philosophy at the beginning. And I don't know. You'd have to decide if you were right within five years. Right? Because <laughs> otherwise, you'd be just... one of the worst teams ever for five years just trying to see if it worked. Well, our guys had innings, though. <laughs> yes. We led the league in innings, but we were last in everything else last in K's, last in ERA, last in home run rate. I mean, that's, that's the prediction that the baseball is in. Yeah, it's not fun. The list of pitchers, I didn't put it on the screen, but it's it's sad to see the number of starting pitchers down right now with pretty significant injuries. Almost every team in the league, again, has been affected. We are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder that you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>